0: Hello and welcome to Running Down Corridors. Now the Christmas period is over and we're all a little bit sick of it. I thought now would be the perfect time to re-release this Christmas episode that Mr. Chris and I did a few years ago for another podcast talking about the Christmas specials written by Stephen Moffat. Now without further ado, Chris, what do you make of his first Christmas special, The Christmas Carol?
1: I remember really enjoying it actually. I think it was one of the the first Matt Smith episodes I actually quite enjoyed although I have since watched series five again and I think the series five is as people correctly say better than what comes after I thought Matt Smith really came into the character I'm a sucker for any adaptation of Christmas Carol I love the story of a Christmas Carol whether it's done with Muppets or it's done with Michael Gambon <laughs> and I liked the way they adapted it for who like for the I think the bit that really clinched it, which I liked, was the Ghost of Christmas Future. And the way they did that twist was just superb, in my opinion.
0: There is something about The Christmas Carol that just, you know, testament to the fact that we're still reading it hundreds of years later. Mm. What do you think it is that just enthralls us about that story?
1: I think it's a bit of hope, you think, that every miserable bastard has that soft side to them people thought that of trump you know that he would have three ghosts turn up over christmas but <laughs> from the sounds of it he probably built a wall and stopped them coming in but it's a classic story adapted in so many different ways i love scrooged with bill murray I one think
0: of the best christmas movies of all time it is
1: it is even meta it's clearly based on the christmas carol and they include an adaptation of the christmas carol in the film i think it's just a story that can be applied to a lot of lots of people and a lot of different areas that that message of there is goodness in everyone which is a very hippie and cliche Christmas thing to say but I think it, it has that appeal for that reason
0: you know I met Michael Gambon once oh yeah I worked on the railway for 11 years and in 2005 2006 Mm. they filmed Harry Potter five. I think it is. I've only seen three Harry Potter films and I don't know which ones. <laughs> I think it was the fifth one. It's the one at Surbiton railway station. He meets a girl in the diner and he's going to go out with her. Oh, then that's, he sees the sixth,
1: that's the sixth one. I'm, I'm <laughs> sadly showing my, uh... <laughs> okay. Harry Potter <laughs> six. They,
0: they filmed yeah. that when I was working at Surbiton station. Ah, right. and I, yeah. We got treated to the catering truck. Like they brought all oh. the staff, all the food and stuff. And I got to see them completely change the station and kind of tart it up and make it look a little bit better. I met Daniel Radcliffe and I met Michael Gambon. Michael Gambon was pissed out of his fucking nut he was off his tits i remember one of the security guards going, yeah they have to shoot him as early as possible on a night shoot because he will just sit in his trailer drinking gin
1: yeah i've heard stories of uh he doesn't have a drink
0: (laughs) and somebody walked through the station and shouted you're a wanker harry (laughs) i really love matt smith's doctor and my son went back recently and did the whole of the matt smith era all right, And his only complaint was when Clara comes into it,
1: which isn't normal. It's just such a good story. And uh, some great performances And the twist at the end of how they do the ghost of Christmas future by showing himself to himself and you see him break down. It just, that, that yeah, made me go cold. It was just so well
0: done. I love the inclusion of Katherine Jenkins. She's not really an actress, but I think she gives a really great performance in this.
1: Yes, she does. She
0: used to teach my ex's sister singing lessons before she was famous. Really? Yeah, she used to be a singing teacher.
1: And then she learned that she can make a career of it. But Hmm.
0: I've never met Catherine Jenkins, so I can't ask if she remembers my ex's sister. (laughs) Yeah, she used to be a teacher. A Christmas Carol, it was fine. But it goes back to what you touched on last week about Moffat and Gators just being like fan writers. Oh, yes. And... Yeah, you can see so much of like what they do with Sherlock here. You know, they'll modernise a script and change it up a little bit. He's added a space shark or whatever here. I really love it, but I think I love it because the bones of the story are exactly the same as the Christmas Carol.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And It's still Doctor Who. It's a, a really good blend of both stories.
0: So moving on.
1: <laughs> do we have
0: to <laughs> after it started so well for the Moffitt Christmas specials because the Christmas specials they don't always land. As this next one shows, the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe. What a fucking travesty. I mean, I've don't think I've watched it again since broadcast. Chris, do you remember anything about this story?
1: I remember watching it and not watching it again for years. I think it followed in that sort of thing that most of, I think, Moffat's stories, as we'll probably go into, ended up, you know, being just basically classic Christmas stories. The stimulus for this one was Narnia. But, God, it was terrible. Uh, (laughs) I think the only decent bit was the opening bit where he falls out of a spaceship and he uh, has his suit on backwards. I think that's the only bit that might be good. (laughs) (laughs) And then
0: they waste free... Comedic geniuses here. They got Bill Bailey, they got Arabella Weir, and they got the trickless magician from the IT crowd.
1: Oh my God, yeah. And they just do nothing with them. And then they have the voice of Mr. Smith, Alexander Armstrong, as well. I'd like to think he's the same ref character as in his sketch show. Uh, (laughs) That'd be brilliant. But the one thing I remember, and I pointed this out to a friend of mine, I've just got a few examples here. I won't say who's actually reviewed them, but there were at the time beforehand, a lot of reviews that praised this episode before it aired. I'm not going to read out who said what as to name and shame them, but one of them here, which I did, Let's see. Stephen Moffat, Matt Smith, and Co. have pulled a cracker. <laughs> wow! Yeah, there's a lot of positive reviews trying to sell this. Doing a very good job of it. It would confuse everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one one group has actually uh, named, actually uh, given it eight out of ten. Wow! Um, eight out of ten for it. So they've you know. All thoroughly joyous members of the press who probably haven't watched television before. I remember turning to my family afterwards and genuinely apologising to them. <laughs> I uh, we put it <laughs> we put it we put it on. And I turned to them. and said, "I'm so sorry," because I'm the only person. Whenever it comes to Christmas, we've never actually watched TV on the day. So when Doctor Who came back and it had a Christmas special, I persuaded my nan and granddad, well, my granddad was more for it because he likes Doctor Who as well. My nan doesn't really care, but she said this, she said, okay, you can watch it, but for just for that hour and then you have to come back, okay. So it was basically just an excuse for me and the rest of the blokes of the family just to sneak away from everyone else (laughs) (laughs) just for an hour. And so whenever we put it on and they would turn to me like, is it Doctor Who, are we watching Doctor Who today? And I'd be like I'm the one orchestrating this, or even I—I I become the representative of Doctor Who in these moments. And uh, this one, I felt embarrassed to be considered that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all I remember about this one really is that the mum from Outnumbered says, "Oh, I met my husband when he followed me home through the woods, and I didn't want to cause a fuss." Oh my god,
1: <laughs> that's very that yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> i'd I, I have no words I've, i it shows how much i really watch and care about the episode is that i i you know i can't even remember any specific lines
0: i never really get to hear the dialogue when i watch doctor who because i was either this is a point where i was still with my ex mm. so we'd either be at her families or we'd be at my families and everyone would talk during doctor who an hour later when EastEnders came on you could hear a pin drop but during doctor who it was a free-for-all so i was just thinking oh maybe i didn't really enjoy this episode because i couldn't hear it properly and then when i went back and watched it i was like nah (laughs) Nah. and this this episode was so bad I intentionally didn't watch the next Christmas special when it went out. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to wait till Boxing Day to watch it.
1: <laughs> I was, I was sorely tempted, but I ended up not doing so. But actually, he, he, this is a thing that will come over when we go over the more of these episodes. But I did have each year was like an in, an. In, It was like encouraging me. Don't do it. Don't do it this time. Just have it. Just have the. Just catch up on it when you get home. You know you'll be better for it afterwards.
0: Why do you think it's so difficult for them to do a really good Christmas special? Because I'd argue that out of about ten of them now, only three of them have been good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I don't know understand why they haven't gone down the route of say only falls and horses because only falls and horses did most of its Christmas specials, but they weren't necessarily Christmas related.
0: Yeah, some yeah. of them were set in the summer.
1: Yeah, yeah, they were just special one-off episodes, and then that time next year there'll be the next part. You know, the uh, the next story they do out the trilogy. I think with Stephen Moffat, it was a case of because well the one they did the first one well. Christmas Invasion that had a nice little thing. What if Christmas and alien invasion happened? Fair enough, okay? Runaway Bride still continued a little bit around the Christmassy theme, but wasn't quite heavily. Voyage of the Damned had nothing really to do with Christmas apart from being on Titanic. And then you've got End of Time, which really was the most realistic look at how Christmas Day is, (laughs) because it was just so... Quiet. There's no, you know, it was just. Oh, you're opening presents. Our oh, Queen speech on in a bit. All right, okay. But then I think, I think Stephen then his intention with uh, Christmas Carol was to bring Christmas back into Christmas special. But then I think he'd never let it, never particularly left it at that. You don't have to make it overly Christmassy to be a Christmas special. It could be, and it's the same with most things. You you know, you don't have to force Christmas into it. God, I sound like, you know, people, all these uh, right-wingers who um, say, we don't want that agenda in there. What we say? I, I just think that you can, go, you can go overboard with a Christmas special.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean. And he did kind of tone it down a bit for Snowman, which is the one I didn't watch on broadcast, because I thought, there's no point. No. There's no point watching this. So I'm just going to get angry with it. I'll watch it the next day. And I remember watching this on Boxing Day with headphones on, on my iPad. And I loved it. It remains
1: my favorite Christmas special of all time. Agreed, because I think it's because it, it as you say, it tones it back. the The only bits that are recognizable of Christmas is the snow, really. The rest of it has a good story. There's a good villain. Matt Smith is superb in it. And oh, even Matt actually-
0: Smith was at the top of his game here. And yeah. you get the great intelligence coming back. You got Richard E. Grant. You got the yeah. best version of Clara that was ever the, in good, it.
1: The best version that should have been the Clara they had. Oh, absolutely. Do you think they'll ever get a
0: companion from the past again?
1: I don't know. I don't see why they haven't done, because I think, like, even if you watch, for example, Jamie McCrimmon, you know, was 100 years so out of his depth I think the audience enjoyed watching him react to these new things. That's enticing because it's not, you don't have to be carried exactly by the companion. You can sort of follow where they've come, you know, like you can follow the doctor at this point and you can see, you know, get them you can see it through new eyes i think they just play it safe and keep it as a modern day person just because they want the audience to connect with it but i don't always think that's the case i, I wonder think...
0: if it's budgetary as well because it's very easy to film something in modern day settings
1: there's that i suppose but then again there's an introduction episode that's you know if it's only one episode that introduces them and it's a period piece you know then it's just one character that needs to carry on with the rest of it
0: Yes, but maybe they're worried about having a companion walk around going, "What's a light bulb?"
1: Yeah, I, I don't th- know. Um, I don't know. I think that might be where they they think it goes wrong. But I think it, you know, you you sort of get used to it. You you see and watch it. Otherwise, people don't watch period dramas or anything ever again, do they? Because, you know, how is anyone meant to go and sit and watch Downton Abbey and go, well, this is all back in the past. I'm not going to watch this. Well, that's true. Yeah, but yet, then millions will watch it because they can adapt to it. I'm watching the Broadwalk Empire at the moment, you know, and that's the... That's, that's an amazing show. Oh, it's, a, it's brilliant. I, I remember only seeing the first two seasons when it came out, and I just, I think life got in the way and I never finished it. So me and my partner Liz have been starting off from scratch. And it doesn't have to be modern for me to understand, okay, this is prohibition and whatnot. You, I think it can work. I just think they need to trust it will work. A I guess it a, just uh, all comes safe. down
0: to characterization, acting, yeah. script. Yeah. And yeah, I guess, it, yeah, anything can work. On paper, social network yeah. look like the worst film you could possibly make.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, I think the. With Clara in this, it worked even in a sense, I think audiences, you know, kids would have loved this version of Clara more, purely because she was Victorian, but she was wise. She had that intelligence that you feel like she could understand. She might not get it immediately, but would understand, okay, you know, someone open-minded. It's a nice reminder that there were open-minded people in the past. <laughs> I <laughs> uh, like that she
0: changed yeah. her voice depending on who she was talking to.
1: Yes, yeah, she puts on the the false posh voice, doesn't she, when she's playing the governess? But then goes, "Oh bloody hell!" You know, back, <laughs> <laughs> back to back to the gutter. No, I really enjoyed it. I, I think the, s- the snowman is just is superb, and it's a great as, as we mentioned about Matt Smith. It's just he really shined in it, and I think it actually includes one of the best shots in the whole show which is where they go up on the cloud so there's a bit of mystery and it looks fantastic but it's when they're in the clouds and the camera follows straight through into the tardis doors and the lights turn on that's and an amazing shot. It's an amazing shot, and I think it was like the you know it was the start of proving that they now know how to film film it rather than cut from studio to lie <laughs> back in the old days.
0: I love Clara's reaction when she's like, "Oh, it's smaller on the outside, a line no one
1: thought to use before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because that's the thing. Every companion, you always wonder what's their reaction going to be, because you've heard them all say it's bigger on the inside. So whenever they come and out trump you with that sort of thing, it's smaller on the outside. You know, every nerd, every fan just sat there and sort of thought, "Has that been said before?" Oh, all right, yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. So huh, moving on again to a
1: <sighs> yeah. So we hit we, we've, one. We, we've gone down slope, but we've come back up again, and now we're back downslope again.
0: Time of the Doctor. What'd you make of this one?
1: I still stick by my one description of it, which is it's a one-hour effort to wrap up three to four years of storylines but yet still wastes enough time in a fucking kitchen.
0: And then we get that weird thing where Matt Smith is naked but he's wearing holographic clothes but the family think he's Swedish and...
1: I just didn't see the point. I think it was their idea of trying to get remind everyone it's a Christmas setting again. You've got a whole hour to answer all these questions, because everyone went in thinking, right, there's a lot of build up to this. What happened on Law? What, you know, this is where it all technically, according to the, well, the diagram I managed to put together trying to decipher Moffat's little timey-wimey paradoxes. This was really the start of it. So we we're all going to find out who the silence were. Well, the one question I wanted to know was how the hell did they blow up the TARDIS and so on. But all these questions were either written off in a simple sentence that was just a line of exposition or it wasn't answered or indeed it was... You know, just it was just rushed. And I feel it was a big disappointment because it just showed that they just didn't prepare. And also, I think as we've discussed before, Matt Smith wasn't expected to leave so soon. Some people say, well, Matt, Stephen Moffat did what he could. I said, well, not really. You faffed it about with half an hour set with Clara talking to her nan in the kitchen. You know, we didn't need that. We want to go back to the answers. So,
0: Yeah, we didn't need that. But there is a line in this. About a year or two before this episode came out, I interviewed Stephen Moffat. Mm. And I asked him that if he had a TARDIS, where would he go? And he said he would use it so that he never misses an episode of TV again. And in this episode, the doctor tells Clara, I can't keep taking you back to watch TV. You've got to learn to use iPlayer. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah, so I was wondering if my question inspired that line in Doctor Who.
1: <laughs> I also found it a bit of a cop-out how the regeneration took place. Not how he died, but you don't actually see that transformation.
0: No, and it would have been a good way to have him regenerate old. Mm. I mean, having him regenerate old would have been a good way to always bring Matt Smith back for like a multi-doctor anniversary special, yeah. because he could age, and then you could be like, oh, they just took him from Transalor," and I know they say that he didn't leave Transalor, but you can write round that. I think having him turn back a young to regenerate was a big mistake.
1: He should have regenerated on the roof. The only thing I found that I just didn't like how it just cut to Capaldi either, where it just, he falls back off shot and in the next shot he's Capaldi. To me, that just, that doesn't really seal it, you know. You have to see that physical change. It felt like a cop out of effects.
0: (laughs) Do you think they've run out of budget?
1: Maybe the intention was that they, you know, he. falls back and you actually see it in the one shot but then they realise actually we can't do it that way (laughs) I don't know I just didn't buy it I did think it was a bit of a dragged out I didn't particularly like the monologue as much I think it was a huge shame it was a very rushed finish to Matt Smith's era and uh, well as it looks like Jacob Dudman's doing uh, forecast audios for them at Big Finish now, maybe they might expand on that, make it um, a bit better.
0: Maybe. That's what Big Finish do really well, is they take something on TV that didn't really work, and with the benefit of hindsight, they kind of mould it, into something that it wasn't.
1: Oh, absolutely. They, they do. They're very good at it. I just wish that real film producers did the same. You know, like, <laughs> ra- you know, rather than let's remake of something that was really good, why don't we take an idea that didn't look didn't work first time and do it properly again, you know, and they could really, you know, fix turn around a flop some years after you know that initiative of what didn't work out of that right let's do it again but this time we're going to do it this way and uh, rather than just go right let's remake a really good film that we all love I mean if Big Finish aren't going to do, they're not going to re- do the episodes of like Tomb of the Cybermen, the Genesis of the Daleks. You know, I wish I do wish they did adopt that sort of mentality.
0: Okay, <laughs> Last Christmas. I know a lot of people really loved this one, but it's not for me.
1: I didn't mind it, but the ending ruined it. I like the idea of these face huggers and you know the dream, but then it turns out that I know that at the very end Clara doesn't die, which is a shame. Not because she does, but her ending in that episode was—it sort of kind of made up for her character. Whether you liked her or not, it felt like a proper good ending. I agree, and if then just in the last minute goes. Nick Frost just turns up and says, "Only joking," <laughs> and then you're stuck with there for a link. She just sort of lingers on in the next season. It makes no sense. I get why people didn't like it, but I also do see why people did enjoy it. I kind of enjoyed it the first time, but I think the more I watch it, I, the more I look at it and go, hmm. Well, this episode's interesting
0: because it's kind of general consensus on Twitter and the internet that Jenna Coleman was bowing out with this episode, but midway through filming, she decided to do another
1: series. I think they convinced, or Stephen Moffat convinced her as well, but I, don't, I wish they didn't. <laughs> I just...
0: Well, what's just... interesting is just before this, Faye Mersey who's uh, a character in this, she was in Fresh Meat on Channel 4 and she'd just been made a full-time cast member oh. just before this. And then in the next series, she's nowhere to be seen. Nobody even mentions the character's name. And I can't help but feel maybe she left Fresh Meat for Doctor Who and then it didn't pan out.
1: Oh, oh God. I mean, that's she never been, been re- confirmed. was not it? It was Shona, yeah. Yeah, she was really good. I was sort of hoping it was going to be her when they announced Nardole. But then they announced Nardole, and I was very confused, but we'll come to <laughs> that one in a minute.
0: Yeah, it's never been confirmed, but if you look at the time ins and the filming schedules, the series of Fresh Meat that she isn't in filmed at the same time as when she would have been filming Doctor Who, had she been the companion.
1: Oh, that's a story I want to know if it's true. You know, I want to, I want to hear about this, maybe <laughs> in about 10 years' time. When she's on the convention circuit and she's got the axe to grind. <laughs> Maybe
0: we'll get a book one day.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'd be quite cool.
0: Okay, now, the Husbands of Riversong. Chris.
1: Uh, there is some good out of it that I quite enjoyed. And it was contrary to what I said about Time and the Doctor, it actually felt like Stephen Moffat wrapping up, which I got the whole impression from in that sort of t- around that time. Especially when, you know, with River Song. Now I thought, hang on, I thought River Song was done in uh, Name of the Doctor. I thought that was it. Because there's that nice little mention of it. But the fact they took her to the singing towers and that scene at the end, which I think is brilliant, sort of really brought it all home. And it was done so well and felt, and you could watch silence of the library straight afterwards and feel it was only 24 years before
0: yeah um, i'm with you that that final speech with the music and everything is just beautiful
1: and then a nice bit of the music as well the the science of the library th- sort of theme comes in the moment they she opens the box to get the screwdriver anyway as for the rest of the episode <laughs> it was just a well the thing that put me off straight away before it even aired which is why i wasn't going to watch it I. Really wasn't going to watch it on Christmas Day. Said, Are we going to put it on? Because I think his girlfriend who came over, his girlfriend at the time, wanted to watch it. I'm like, Oh, great. The one time I don't want to watch it, everyone wants to watch it. Brilliant. (laughs) And because I read about it, the Moffat interview just kept selling it badly. Like he said, It's so sexy, I think was the term I was saying, is the most sexy thing you'll ever see. And I was like, oh God, I don't wanna see Capaldi and Riversong flirting with each other, you know, in the uncomfortable way she flirts with everyone. And it wasn't that sexy. Which was a plus. Yep. Which was a, a big plus for me. I like the touch that she didn't know who he was throughout the whole episode. But after watching that, I had no idea why they cast, why Nardol returns, but <laughs> I don't know. The rest of it's it's just, it's just a silly camp thing. I felt it was a bit more like a Russell T Davies Christmas special, actually, like with the aliens on the ship and everything. But yeah. Uh, ultimately, I thought I thought the ending of it made it for me.
0: Yeah, the ending's good. Nardole basically came back because Matt Lucas was living in LA at the time. And he wrote to Stephen Moffat and said, I had a brilliant time on Doctor Who. If you ever want me to come back, I'll come back. And that's pretty much how Nardole came back. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Oh, wow. <laughs> but yeah, again, they waste another comedian this because we get Greg Davis... And they just kind of do nothing with him.
1: Actually, do you know, I went to the TARDIS set around the time they were filming it. It was the Mission Dalek competition where I got to meet Peter Capaldi.
0: Oh, yeah. You should tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So cast him back to 2015. When I was doing a possible Peter Capaldi impersonation. People, they had the competition to do, you know, people could either animate or do some form of animation or video to fill in the void just before series nine came back. And, uh, a few people asked me to ask to use my voice and i said because i had quite a few people asking i said no i, I won't um, because i thought it's not fair if i have to do it for one i've got to do it for everyone but then my good friend rob Ritchie, <laughs> <laughs> who i've known of for a long time who i hadn't physically met we've no, we've known of each other online through like, we did fan audios for the same people he was in the same ones as I was and so on. So we had, we always worked indirectly and said we would have to work together. And as you all know, Rob Ritchie is one of the key front-facing people who does all the you know the, the stuff for the Blu-rays and the animated episodes that have been on since 2016's Power of the Daleks. But he put one together and he said, "Would you want to do it for me? And I said, yeah, all right. <laughs> and he was one of the winners, along with Matthew Toffolo and... Who, um, but, but I got brought along as I, because they get, everyone gets given like, you could bring up to like three people with you or like up to four, I think most of the winners brought their families. like yeah. it was a kid who made it. So they brought the family along. Then there's us nerds who just got in the, who were me and Billy, Garrett, John, who were just lucky to be friends with the winners. <laughs> and we got, we went in, we Had to go down to Cardiff, get up really early, get the train, met with Rob on the way. We got picked up by a taxi and uh, yeah, we got there and they said, right, let's go into the TARDIS. They let the little boy who was with the family, who won, one of the winners, they got hit, let him open the TARDIS doors first. And step through, and you walk into the three, de- you know, this 360 degree set. And they just simply said, make yourself at home. So for two hours, <laughs> we, had to, we basically oh, amused wow. ourselves. And they said, make yourself at home, do what you like, go for a run, do everything, go upstairs, downstairs, all of it. So you've got three layers of like this massive set. I did laps running around it. <laughs> And they just I said, fiddle with anything. You know, touch the buttons. You could it's all yours, you know, you can do whatever you want. So when everyone has their photos and the guided tour and they have to keep behind the rope, I feel bloody smug. That's brilliant. <laughs> and then after about two hours, Peter Capaldi walks upstairs and even though there is a kid there, I'm the one who sounds good. Like, oh, Really high pitched, <laughs> and then yeah, and I've got that video with me doing my impression to him, which Rob recorded and set up for me. And um, he's but,
0: very impressed in the video.
1: Yeah, I thought I, I thought I really, you know, I thought he just, "Oh, I've heard, yeah, of course you are, I've heard all voices, <laughs> you know." And then suddenly, you when know, his eyes just sort of wide under it. That's very good, <laughs> and I was I was very really chuffed. I didn't notice until after I watched the video back. And uh, yeah,
0: because you can see there's a moment in his eyes where he's like mm.
1: oh,
0: another one, and then he's genuinely surprised.
1: Yeah, I was I was really really impressed, and he even liked the trout and I did as well. But he was just they were filming "Husband's River Song" back to bringing us back to the story rather than my self indulgence. They were filming in the lot across. Which we couldn't go anywhere near, and he walks in in the red velvet fresh off the thing. We've got fake snow outside the TARDIS doors, so the the, there's also for obviously decoration purposes. But inside, I didn't notice this at all, but Rob Ritchie did. He took photos of of around the set, and he sent it to me after *Husband's a River Song*, and just went. That's why they had a hole in the in the in the console. They had the whole unit with like the hole for Greg Davis to stand underneath and poke his head through.
0: Oh, yes,
1: that makes sense. Yeah. He wasn't, we weren't sure why he did it why it was there, but I didn't really notice. I was just amazed by everything else and being such a simple minded man. (laughs) Didn't care. But no, Rob shared it afterwards, uh, shared the photo and went, oh, that makes sense now. (laughs) They took out the sort of panelling so he could stick, you know, stand underneath the console, and poke his head through. What do you make of the character
0: of River Song?
1: I think she's better in this. I think it works a lot better with Capaldi than it ever did with Matt Smith. I think it's the age that helps. I think she works well with Tennant because Tennant
0: comes across as the younger boyfriend. Capaldi is about the same age as her, so that looks right. And Matt Mm. Smith looks like he could be her son.
1: Yeah, and plus also when Matt Smith tries flirting back, it doesn't quite work. It feels quite cringy when when it's written, when flirting is written by Moffat. But with Capaldi, it felt kind of almost like love, I suppose, especially when he turns to her and he always is yeah, just looking at her and just going, hello, sweetie. You know, that bit was like so soft, wasn't overplayed. There was no wink. It was just really nicely played.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. Her big finish range
1: is very good. I've heard her in a few of the Doom coalitions, and she sounds a lot better.
0: Yeah, as soon as Moffitt's not writing her, she becomes such a better character. If you were indifferent to River Song or didn't like her on TV, I highly recommend her big finish range. So I guess this brings us on to the return of Doctor Mysterio, which I still don't think I've seen all the way through. I remember watching this on broadcast. I got about 30 minutes in. minutes in and I stopped watching because I thought this is just horseshit.
1: To be fair, half an hour is all you really need. There were some wins to it. The cashing in on the superhero thing was rubbish. I mean, I think it was again another sign of Moffat closing up shop because right from the off it opens up with this will prevent, you know, will fix everything that happened in time of not time is it time of angels no angels take manhattan yeah yeah so the opening device fixes that plot hole or well, not really plot hole it's you know that area then to be honest i was a bit sort of concerned why are they bringing back nardole but in this nardole did win me over and i think it was just from the fact that it's explained quite quickly how why he's back and it was the doctor was lonely you know, or yeah. and so on, and it added that sort of and also that sort of definite closure to Riversong as well. Is where the doctor at the very end does actually say, you know, that she died. You know, this I don't know, there's it's like a different, it's a different capaldi, which is what I quite liked. Clara held him down, but now he's loose, um, it it worked a lot better. But then again, you had the cringiest superhero thing, and I don't know. If, I have
0: heard very good things about the comic range that spun off from this.
1: Oh, of the ghost? Yeah. Is cool?
0: I've not yeah. read any of them so I couldn't confirm it. You're right, we do see a softer side of the Doctor, kind of the Doctor we see in Series 10 with Bill.
1: Yeah, and, and Nardal worked really well with him, which was which was great. Yeah, I like Nardal, especially when he's been
0: competent and he's flying the TARDIS and stuff. I think, yeah, this is a very interesting character and they've given us something with Nardal that we've been wanting to... Since two thousand and five, and that's an alien companion.
1: Yeah, Matt Lucas did block me on Twitter and a few others because when the news broke out, we were very much like, "What the hell? <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> did you watch the episode? That that's terrible. You know, you might as well bring Bilal back from Death to the Daleks. You know, <laughs> but then obviously got proven wrong. I don't. I'm not hundred percent a huge Nardole fan, but I do like him but i yeah but the thing that got me blocked i think was the photo they put up of the doctor uh, bill <laughs> and Nardole is standing in the back <laughs> in the in the back in almost like a shadows and it looked terrifying it looked like The first picture of Paddington when that came out you know oh yeah yeah you know and they photoshopped it so when I photoshopped him outside my window and said this is terrifying you know (laughs) that I think got me blocked I do apologize to uh, Matt Lucas for it I I don't apologize in the sense that I think I prejudged Because I think based on what I saw, I could see why. But, you know, I was proven wrong afterwards. So I do apologise, Matt.
0: Yeah, I've always liked Matt Lucas and I like Nardole. Did you hear what happened with the Who Addicts? LFCC? Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, Liv from the Who Addicts went through and she got a picture with him successfully. And then when Matt from the Who Addicts tried to get a picture (laughs) with him, Matt Lucas was like, nope, nope and just refunded his money on the spot and just refused but i think they've since spoken and bridges have been built
1: yeah um, yeah they they spoke i think the following day i think yeah because then they did get the photo in the end
0: it's interesting because you know i do press at cons and i interview people and stuff yeah. when i walked up to matt lucas's table i was like hi i'm martin i do this podcast called bad wolf i'd love to get you on he just kept repeating bad wolf bad wolf bad wolf like he was trying to remember if he'd heard
1: the name before i think he probably does listen to quite a lot of it and you know
0: well he follows me on twitter now which is great and i i have tried to get him on the podcast a few times but timings have just never worked out mm. i like matt lucas i love nardole i think yeah nardole's one of the most interesting companions we've ever had
1: yeah yeah,
0: and I guess yeah. that brings us round to twice upon a time Chris which somebody when we did our negative huh. review episode somebody said this was disgusting to William Hartnell's legacy what do you feel about this one
1: well they're right it was it's such a shame because I was really quite hyped for it I, I wasn't quite hyped for Mark Gatiss when the trailer came out it <laughs> it started with uh, it Peter Capaldi, David Bradley Pearl Mackey, Mark Gatiss <laughs> oh he's cast his mate and as the brigadier's grandfather no less okay but he actually was really good in it i have to say i thought that it i thought it could have been a lot cringier as, as i was expecting but it was a really nice portrayal of a world war one captain it's one of mark gatus's best performances in doctor who Oh, absolutely. He, he was superb and He was sort of the star for me. David Bradley, in Adventure in Space and Time, it was, you know, he was a very good William Hartnell. But at the time, I thought when he played the first Doctor in the bits, it didn't quite match up, which was never going to happen anyway. But then to give him as a full script where he is actually that character definitely made him come across a bit better. But they decided to throw in this element that he was a, a sexist, which was quite untrue to the character and quite an insult, really. I don't know what possessed them to do it. I think their aim was to show how far the show had come, but they did only an episode or two before that, so Time Lords have no concept, really, of gender or <laughs> anything. <laughs> uh, but okay, fair enough. You've forgotten your own rule, Stephen. I thought it was a disservice to William Hartnell. Let's not that could say anything about David Bradley. It's the script that gave him that. Because the thing with Big Finish, again, we always return to Big Finish but they launched the audios with him and they are much better and good because I think the writing really you know it was a first doctor script and he delivers it it's not William Hartnell but he's doing a damn good effort I just think it was it was let down in twice upon a time
0: yeah I agree with you I don't think there's anything wrong with the cast I think they all do an amazing job with the material Mm. they have I interviewed David Bradley and Claudia Grant MCM about three months before this episode came out and I was very worried about this episode because in the interview David Bradley told me about some of the stuff he says to bill about cleaning the tardis and dusting and oh i was like oh i think they've misjudged the tone of this
1: i th- again i think it's that case of i think we've mentioned it before but when stephen moffat writes uh, an adaptation he picks the worst attributes basically the things you would joke about yeah i agree with you. and and uh amplify them. The first Doctor, well, he was always grumpy, wasn't he? Let's make him extremely grumpy and also let's make him slightly sexist. (laughs) Actually, very sexist in the episode. Same with Sherlock. He makes Sherlock this utter sociopath person, which isn't quite true. I mean. There are many adaptations in which, you know, Sherlock Holmes is a human being and doesn't think of himself. He thinks he, he is, he observes more than a people, but he doesn't think he's, a, you know, the best for the total genius That Same with Doctor Who in general. There are key things that Moffat puts in the scripts that poke fun at the show itself, even though I think it's one of the best gags, which is where the TARDIS lands and River says, it's not meant to make that sound. You just leave the handbrake on or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think I thought that was a brilliant line. It was, you know, it was unnecessary, but it was a brilliant line. But it, it's that sort of thing of we need to make fun of all this. And he goes, no, you don't. You don't need to make fun of it. I'm not saying that we should, you know, coddle it, and you know, we have to protect it. It is a show that can be laughed at, but as long as, but the narrative has to be pure from that. It can't be a case of you just making jokes at your own expense, usually. It, it, I suppose it depends on the joke, but I think if, you, if your running theme is we're going to take one little attribute, we're, you know, we're just going to take the piss out of that, then I think you undermine your own show. This is another case of
0: Moffitt wrapping <coughs> stuff up, because we also get the relationship with Bill getting wrapped up, we get Nardle getting wrapped up, and Clara makes an appearance.
1: Yeah, yes.
0: <laughs> including Clara here was completely pointless
1: it was because she had a goodbye really we didn't really need it and it looked like she wasn't there anyway <laughs> it, it, <laughs> have you seen was...
0: people who have like green screened in Shia LaBeouf
1: <laughs> when he's doing his just do it oh yeah it's brilliant <laughs> oh, it's, yeah I, d- I thought that was a miss Bob, I did like seeing the, the what I can't think what the term is it's not armistice is it is it armistice Armistice, yeah, where they play football. Yeah, where yeah. they where they stop and play football. Seeing that was, was great, and I thought that was a really lovely moment. But generally, when you think about Twice Upon a Time, not a lot really happens in it. The story doesn't really have much meat to it. It's just simply an hour distraction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know when you mention the Armistice thing there, yeah. I was really worried that we were going to get one of these modern-day Doctor speeches. I'm the Doctor, and I can't do the voice. Yeah, uh, like He was going to do this big grandiose speech. I was really worried that that was going to be happening, and I'm so glad they didn't do it.
1: No, I, I think they played it a lot subtler than that, and it was much nicer. And again, it, it threw in that... Christmas feel that you needed to make it a Christmas special but it didn't overshadow the whole thing. But there was no villain in that episode. I suppose the only thing it did close was Rusty, the Dalek which is now more <laughs> homicidal than ever. A friend of mine described it, it says it starts off really high. Then it goes down <laughs> and then it builds back up again.
0: Yeah.
1: And then it has the longest almost pointless speech <laughs> before the doctor actually regenerates, which I thought was was a shame. I, uh, Capaldi's always good at doing a speech, but I do find it is just pretentious, especially when he have lines that say "be kind." I mean, when he started, he was a dick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, one of the lines is where, where into the Dalek, he says, "They said, is this what happened to my, you know, my teammates?'" And he goes, "The top few layers, if you want to say a few words." <laughs> and you yeah, like, what a dick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, that was all Capaldi's idea. He wanted the Doctor to be a dick that then mellows out.
1: Uh, I think it didn't quite land. Boy, it's a shame that when Jodie Whittaker's first episode brought back, you know, it essentially doubled the audience for the opening episode and then halved it the following <laughs> as it got, as it went on. I think it was a big misstep that they had Capaldi be grumpy uh, or even allowed it because well, the thing that I thought and I sort of explained to people who they were sceptical because it was going to be an older man who looks a bit scary and I said well actually I don't see that I think he'd be you know like your John Pertwee. he'll have that sort of there's that for fierceness but he will be you know he's like a young man in an old man's body
0: you know and I remember people saying they thought he was going to swear
1: it's like people why would hoping, he swear? they were hoping he was going to do a Malcolm Tucker didn't they <laughs> and he essentially was Malcolm Tucker just minus the swearing <laughs> yeah have you ever seen uh, the
0: clip on YouTube where somebody's clipped in Malcolm Tucker yeah it's
1: brilliant We're fucking time-traveled, yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. (laughs) Someone did a very good uh, little video edit the other month, I think. It was this clip in the thick of it where he's talking about like he's threatening miles judd in the bathroom i think it's a season th- series three episode of oh yes of it yes in the bathroom and so they've, <laughs> they've edited out capaldi in that scene and just put him against the dalek supreme <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly astounding and you know the effort and time it took to do that one shot and it's done because it's all handheld in the thick of it so they've matched that it just works beautifully
0: all right listeners Thank you for joining us. If this is your first episode, please go and check out our back catalog. Got loads of discussions like this, loads of interviews.